Hello and welcome to the Lasso of the Moon podcast. I'm Bryce McCracken. I am excited about Oscar season and also Brett Redshaw. I'm Y Van Dyke. Are you not excited for Oscar season? Yeah, what I'm gives? Like, I'm like, it's in March. You know, we got time. We do have time. So today we're going to be reacting to the Oscar nominations, which came out bright and early this morning. Uh, 5.30 this morning. 5.30 a.m. I think that was Pacific time, no? Certainly. Well, I had not initially planned on doing a blind reaction, but when I woke up this morning, uh, they were out and I had not seen them yet. And so I was like, hey, let's do a blind reaction. That would be fun. And both of these boys were like, I already looked at them. (laughs) So I will be blind reacting. And these two boys who already know what's going on will be reading them to me. We'll be reacting with 2020 vision. Certainly just goes to show, uh, uh, you know, an immense level of care and dedication to this podcast movies as an art that two-thirds of this podcast (laughs) yeah i i I clearly do not appreciate the art form in the same way that these two do so i do want to take a second just to talk about what the academy is not in depth because i don't think that it's super relevant but i have heard a lot of people that say i think correctly hey the oscars don't actually matter and that's absolutely true we do not base our taste around what is or is not nominated from the Oscars. If you're interested in hearing what our favorite movies of last year were, which is the movies that are eligible for this award season, that was our first episode. Go ahead and check that out. We'd be happy to hear your thoughts. But I would imagine, to some extent, our tastes might align with what the Academy chooses. Uh, I certainly hope that's the case, because the movies that I like, I want to see them rewarded. And, of course, that is ultimately why we enjoy the Oscars. It's why we enjoy award shows. They are a celebration and an appreciation for our favorite art form. So that's why we follow the award season. It's a lot of fun, even if ultimately it doesn't really mean anything. Oscars low-key boring, though. (laughs) Uh, Last year was definitely a little bit tough, other than the slap incident. Um, And that sort of speaks to the Oscars as a whole. The ratings and the viewership has been in a very noticeable decline for the last decade and the academy has done some things to try to combat that we won't get into that in this episode i'd just like to get into what's been nominated we're going to give some quick thoughts maybe talk about some snubs we won't give our predictions here i'd like to save that for closer to when the award show actually is so that we have a little bit more context to see what sort of the front runners are but yeah Are we ready to get into it? Yeah, for sure. And for clarification, we're going to start off with uh, some of the smaller categories first and work our way towards things like best picture, best actor, best actress. And I I appreciate that you said smaller categories, not less important categories. Yeah, we recognize an Oscar as an Oscar and everybody works very hard on these films. Absolutely. Without further ado, we're going to kick it off with uh, best makeup and hairstyling. Let's go. Uh, Nominated in that, we've got Black Panther, uh, Wakanda Forever. All Quiet on the Western Front, Elvis, The Whale, and The Batman. Before we say anything about that, I just want to point that the first name nominated under Black Panther Wakanda Forever is Joel Harlow, which my brain autocorrected as Jack Harlow, and I think that my heart sank a little bit or jumped a beat. I couldn't believe that uh, a national treasure worked on Black Panther. That guy can do anything. (laughs) Yeah, He can date Dua Lipa, that's what he can do. He can do that for sure. Uh, I don't think there's anything particularly interesting about that category. No no real surprises there. I think those are all fair nominations. I, there's a good mix of like the big studio action superhero type makeup and hairstyling. I have a surprise here. Um, and The Whale had very impressive obese <laughs> makeup uh, and costuming. But I guess this isn't costuming, but... Um, the Brendan Fraser looked real sweaty that whole movie, so I, I guess I guess that's something to to note. Yeah, in hindsight, I was gonna say that uh, the whale jumped out to me as a surprise, but I hadn't considered that his prosthetics that they used yeah. to make him look the way that he did would be considered under makeup and hairstyling. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. I uh, did mention in our episode in which we discussed our top movies of the year, my love for uh, the Batman, specifically Robert Pattinson and dark eyeliner. I just think it made me question some things about myself. And if 
it can do that. I mean, it might be worthy of an Oscar. Who's to say? Thank you for sharing that with us, Wyatt. Uh, what's the next category you got for us? Uh, so next up is uh, best documentary, specifically sh- short. Uh, you can read these. I certainly will not have seen any of the shorts. One of the theaters near us uh, often shows all of the shorts in advance of the the show. So we should get a chance to see all of those. I'd like to hear what they are, but uh, we certainly will not have seen any of them at this point. Uh, so we've got Hall Out, The Martha Mitchell Effect, Stranger at the Gate, how do you measure a year and the elephant whisperers? Like Bryce said, this is not stuff that is like usually readily available, but I'm looking forward to it. Documentaries are always great to like both learn things and consume a form of media that I enjoy. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, and because it's relevant, can you just go ahead and read the other short nominations? So for other shorts, best animated short film, we're starting with my favorite movie title of the year, My Year of Dicks. What? Uh, Ice Merchants. An ostrich told me the world is fake, and I think I believe him. The boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse, and the flying sailor. Uh, that's best animated short film. Wait, what What was the Oscar title? That that rivals the Dicks one. It, not Oscar, an ostrich. An yeah, ostrich that's, told that's me the meant. world is fake, and I think I believe him. What a name. I'm excited for that. Great category. Looking forward to it. Live action short films. We've got An Irish Goodbye, The Red Suitcase, The Pupils, uh, Ivalu and Night Ride, another category full of things that we will be looking forward to watching but have not yet seen. A lot of Irish representation at this Academy nominations. That uh, movie is just about the way that I end every single party when I get too intoxicated and a little bit too sad about <laughs> myself because it's just been a dip. rough night. <laughs> it's an Irish goodbye kind of night. Cool. So those are the shorts. Yeah. As expected, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't recognize any of them, but... Hopefully, we'll get a chance to see all of them. On title alone, there's a few that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, it's really unfortunate the level of accessibility that we have to these short films because I am interested in every single one. I want to know what they're about, but, you know, it's not like our theaters are going to be playing them on a Wednesday night when we usually go out to the movies. Unless you have a link to an Academy screener, which uh, we're not quite there yet. They're they're difficult to see at this point. If the Academy is listening... Please, we're begging you. Forget what we said about you guys kind of being out of touch and boring a little bit earlier. <laughs> um, so without further ado, we'll keep moving, keep chugging along. Uh, next up is best film editing. Uh, this the, is a category I really enjoy usually. In the editing category, we've got uh, Top Gun Maverick, Everything Everywhere All at Once, one of what we will assume is many further nominations for them, uh, The Banshees of Inchirin, Elvis, and Tar. Okay, so some some notes here. Everything Everywhere All at Once, I know we weren't going to get into predictions, but leaving that movie, the editing was, in my opinion, the most impressive I've ever seen in a movie before. And so I would love to see that win. That's my clear favorite. Uh, And Elvis, I guess there's a certain type of person at the Academy that likes films that are edited incomprehensibly because this is not the first nomination that we've seen like this a few years ago bohemian rhapsody actually won best editing and i thought that that was baffling so there are certainly a lot of cuts it's not uncommon for not just nominations at the oscars but winners at the oscars to be based not on what is the best but sometimes just what is the most and i think elvis certainly had the most editing uh, in my opinion, it was not very good, so I would be upset to see that win, but I think the rest of these are, are fair. Um, yeah, I tend to agree about the Elvis take, and I think we probably also agree that Everything Everywhere All at Once had fantastic editing and probably deserves to win. Also, Dark Horse, in my opinion, Tar for this one. If you remember from the first podcast, I'm the biggest Tar hater <laughs> of of the world, some might say, because nobody seems to agree with me on this. Correct. But, but uh, if there was anything that I came out enjoying about Tar, it was the editing. It was very, um, very concise, clear cut, made everything incredibly comprehensive and understandable. And the, the film looked very good. There, there are certain categories here where it's often hard to tell what is good. Um, I think another category like this can be sound design, where if it's done exceptionally, you don't even notice it. And so for... A movie like Tar, 
it's not doing anything crazy in the same way that like an Elvis or an everything everywhere all at once is doing. Um, it's not super flashy in the edit, but the editing is used to tell a very cohesive, tight story. So I would assume that is why we're seeing some movies like that there. I think that that's a fine pick. Alrighty. Uh, next up, we've got best visual effects. Exciting one. Uh, for visual effects, we've got Top Gun Maverick nominated again, uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, and The Batman. Big category for extremely high budget movies. Yes, this is this is the category that gets all of the movies that people have actually seen in them usually. If they have the money for the visual effects, they're going to have the money for the marketing and gets people in the seats. Of course, yeah. So Top Gun, Black Panther, Avatar, The Batman, those were all huge in theaters. And All Quiet on the Western Front is available on Netflix. And because it's getting a lot of attention, I guess we'll see, or I guess I'll see how much it's being recognized here at this show. But it has been getting slated and awarded at some other award ceremonies. So... Netflix has been pushing that on their platform pretty hard. So literally all of these movies have done pretty well. So I'm glad to see that. I like that they're representing and awarding movies that people have actually seen because that's ultimately how you get people to watch your show. And I don't necessarily have much to say about this category. I think they're all they're all pretty fair. Yeah, I would agree. All of the movies on this category deserve to be there. I'm a little bit surprised about the Batman. Um, not that it doesn't deserve to be there, but you know, it does seem to be out of the five on the list. It's the one that seems like a little bit of an outlier to me, just at face value. Regardless of that, Top Gun and Avatar The Way of Water are the two that really stand out to me as, yes, these were main draws of the movie themselves is the amazing effects that went into making them come together. You have Top Gun, which we all know they did some absolutely astonishing feats of cinematography using real fighter jets. Pretty much entirely practical, which is genuinely insane. And then you would think, you know, if you have seen Top Gun, you would think, oh my god, this this has to take this category until you have Avatar The Way of Until you watch Avatar, and it's the most mind-boggling thing you've ever seen in your entire life. It's the same line of thinking I had watching the Golden Globes for Best Director nom, where you have Steven Spielberg, old Hollywood classic, who everybody loves and is going to make a a banger almost every time. But then you have James Cameron, who is nominated for Best Director, literally engineering a new kind of camera so that he can make the movie that he wants to. It's just... It's a powerhouse category here. It, yeah. I think it's, you know, we're not doing predictions, but I would think that it deserves to go to one of those two. I, would, I wouldn't I would be mad at any of them, though, frankly. There's not a movie in this category that I think is, a, like, outwardly non-deserving of this award. It could, it could go to anyone, and I'd feel happy about it. All right, what do we have next year, Wyatt? Uh, next up, Best Cinematography. Uh, starting in Cinematography, we've got Empire of Light, All Quiet on the Western Front again, uh, Bardo, False Chronicles of a Handful of Truths, Elvis is back uh, for another nomination, and Tar as well. Okay, so this is the first representation of a feature-length movie that I have not seen yet. Uh, Bardo, I believe, is available on Netflix. Haven't gotten a chance to check that one out yet. Um, but I believe the rest of them are pretty fair. Wyatt, you and I are the only ones here that have seen Empire of Light, and I think I'm the only one that's seen Elvis, right? Uh, yes, I would like to take a moment to say that if Empire of Light wins this category, I'd be thrilled. Uh, if there's one thing that can get me to a movie, it's the promise that it looks beautiful. Um, and I could stare at some of the shots, especially of just the actual Empire of Light theater in the movie uh, for days on end. I thought Roger Deakins did a phenomenal job in that, and I think it's a strong nominee. And of uh, course, Roger Deakins is... The guy. He's the guy. He's the man. He, he's, he's been him. nominated more than anyone else over the last couple of decades. So the Academy certainly likes him, and for good reason. He's very good at his job. I would like to dispute the fake news spouted on this podcast just a few moments ago, saying that Bryce was the only one who had seen Elvis, as I too have seen Elvis. Um, and that's pretty much all that I had to say. I just really wanted to be When did you watch that? <laughs> we watched half of it together. Oh, so you've seen half of Elvis. And then I finished it by okay, myself. Okay, okay. okay. My apologies. Okay. <laughs> I did not mean to slander your name. Um, if we're going to talk about snubs here, 
Top Gun Maverick not being on this list. Yeah, the Pretty top, surprising. Top Gun's use of natural lighting to get a lot of its cinematography is is very surprising. I kind of forgot about snubs, but I guess that's maybe because there haven't been any egregious ones yet. But yeah, I, I would not have been mad seeing Top Gun there, but I didn't think it was... Uh, I don't know if I'd go quite as far to say it's a snub. I would certainly put it in over something like Elvis. Um, nearly everything about that movie, other than Austin Butler's central performance, I did not think was very successful. But yeah, I would I would have liked to see that, but I would imagine Top Gun's being represented many other places in this award ceremony. So I really like All Quiet on the Western Front here. That had some amazing cinematography. Not much very to gritty. Say. Very gritty. It got a point across. You knew exactly what you were getting into. Really accurately showed the dichotomy of, of war between what looks like happy, energized youth and, oh my God, I'm a soulless shell of a man at this point. It had a lot of, especially in the action scenes, like how did they do that moments? Yes. Where I, I feel it falls a little bit short and why it's maybe not my favorite in this category is there is a lot of more dialogue heavy scenes. And I felt like a lot of those were shot not poorly, just a little bit more simply. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not mad at that at all. I do like tar nominated in this category as well. I do think that, uh, they on the, on the set did a good job of capturing Kate Blanchett's character and her near what appeared to be lack of emotion and feeling and translating that into visuals. Um, it was just, this cool, cold movie, um, and it played along well with the lead figure, so I'm happy with that nomination as well. And there's some really, really impressive camera work in that movie with some really long takes where the camera's moving around an environment almost like it's its own character, and I would imagine that had a hand in it getting its nomination. Yeah, the first like two, three minutes of Tar is all essentially just one long take, I believe. Well, that's, that's about 25 minutes into the movie because the first... 15 is that interview that oh that's right, that's right that's right yeah just kidding i lied any hoodles any we're moving hoodles. on hello it's brett here from the edit uh i just had to jump in because we lost a small portion of the recording where we said the nominees for best original screenplay so i'm just gonna tell you those right now and we'll get right back to it the nominees are everything everywhere all at once the Banshees of Inisherin, Triangle of Sadness, The Fablemans, and Tar. Oh, what a stacked category. I am very, very happy with that category. A lot of my favorite movies being represented there. Yeah, all all five of those made my top ten list, so really nothing to complain about there. Yeah, everything on here is certainly notable for amazing writing, which you would hope to see. <laughs> For the Oscar noms, um, I don't think I have much to say about this. They're all great. I haven't seen Triangle of Sadness, but I trust your opinion, Bryce, that you know, it, it also is deserving of the nom. Um, yeah. I think it's uh, got to be pretty wild to be Steven Spielberg and write a script essentially about your life and then see it nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Makes you feel like you've probably had a pretty interesting existence. Uh, it's got to be rewarding. So next up, we've got Best Adapted Screenplay. I'm going to interrupt you real quick, uh, just because I realized my job, or our jobs leading up to this award show, so far are going to be pretty easy. There's not much here that we have not already seen, which is very nice, and yes. has not been the case for me personally in the past few years. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. Whenever, um, whenever the nominations came out last year, I just made a letterbox list for every single movie that I had to watch. And it was most of them. Yeah. Before the show, I, you know, watched probably 20 movies that unfortunately I, you know, I wanted to see most of them anyway, but it was a little bit frustrating knowing that my viewing habits were going to be dictated by an award show for the next month or two. Um, so yeah, it's great to see that we've already done the due diligence to make this happen. Especially since I'm in the middle of an M night Shyamalan rewatch. I, uh, don't want to be wasting all my time on the Academy movies when I should be watching those masterpieces. Oh, baby. Go ahead, Wyatt. Adapted Alrighty. screenplay. Adapted screenplay. We've got Living, Top Gun Maverick, Women Talking, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, and All Quiet on the Western Front. Big shout out Women Talking. We just released an episode on that yesterday. It'll be out in conjunction out. with this episode. 
Uh, but Women Talking was a phenomenal movie based on a true story uh, that is quite the harrowing tale uh, and it deserves some love. And if there's a category that it was made for, uh, this is one of them. And I think it should do well. Yeah, we have not gotten a chance to see Living yet, but I've heard excellent things. So I am excited to get a chance to see that. And Glass Onion... I don't Wait, real quick, I wanted to say about Living. Please. Today, when I was looking at these nominations, is the day that I learned that this movie, A, did not come out in 2023, um, and B, was available to watch right now. I guess those two kind of mean the same thing. We could have been watching Living this whole time. I kept seeing ads for it, like, oh, I guess it's going to come out soon. I guess it's AMC come out just soon. recently started showing ads for it at their movies. Right. So I had no idea. It's a little idea. bit confusing. And honestly... A lot of the award season timing is a little bit strange because especially with a lot of the smaller, more art house or indie movies, often they will either get two city releases or they'll get limited releases or sometimes even the studios will just send them to the Academy and whether or not they get a nomination will determine how wide of a release they get because sometimes it saves them money if they know no one is going to like this. They won't even do a wide release. So yeah, sometimes that can be tough, but uh, excited to see living. It also was released December 23rd of 2022, which late year releases tend to struggle at the uh, Academy. Other way around. Really? Yeah. Generally, generally it's good to be smack dab in the middle. Um, You don't want to be too late, but you also don't want to be too early. Um, if you're too early, people forget about you. If you're too late, you miss the chance to do a lot of campaigning. So I guess to some extent, you're absolutely right. It, it might be a little bit late in the season, um, but it is fresh on everyone's minds. And I think that's likely why it got nominated. I think to your point, though, it will likely struggle to win because it's competing against all of these movies that have been in discussion for a while now. Well, luckily above all else, if I feel that this makes me look too stupid, I have every ability to just remove it altogether. Uh, I don't think you look stupid for that take. I, th- I think it's accurate. No, you think I sound stupid because uh, there's not video here. That's true. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, Glass Onion was the only one that was maybe a little bit surprising there, um, but that was a fine movie. I'm, I'm not particularly upset about it. With that... Uh, we're switching to some costume categories. Uh, we've got best costume design. Uh, in that, we've got Babylon, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Elvis Once More. No period pieces. There's almost always a period drama there. I don't know anything about Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Do you? Uh, so Mrs. Harris in that movie uh, goes to Paris. What does she find? <laughs> Apparently, some pretty good costuming. The Eiffel Tower baguettes, uh, cigarette smoking. I saw that that had gotten losing a World Golden War Globe. II. I'm, <laughs> I saw that that had gotten a Golden Globe nomination. Uh, I was considering watching it. It is available on Peacock, so that'll be a pretty easy one to check out. Uh, in terms of other costume design notes, Babylon I thought did a phenomenal job and is uh, very deserving of this. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, once more, I mean, there are some bits in that movie that I think costuming, you don't get to see like the true breadth of the ability of the folks working on the film because in multiple instances, their best costuming work uh, comes in those like flash um, edits where you see 20, 30 different versions of the same character. Certainly, yeah. There, there are thousands of costumes on display, it feels like. Yes. The amount of work that was probably put into that uh, to make those special sequences, I hope, gets some love and some attention in this progress, in this process. And, I mean, being nominated for this is certainly some appreciation, but... This is the first Elvis category, or the first Elvis nomination that I'm not super upset about. I think the costuming in that movie was actually pretty good. And I think as we go, I would expect to see a lot more Elvis. So not going to get too upset because I just I'm expecting it at this point. Everything everywhere all at once with the quantity and quality at the same time. Interested to see how that translates to a a potential win for this category. And then also Black Panther. um, we, We haven't had a lot of opportunity to talk about it, but there wasn't much about the movie that I loved. Likewise. The costume design, though, makes a 
really solid case for you know, absolutely being you know deserving of this award. Yeah, I'm not mad at that at all. Alrighty, so next up is best production design. Uh, in production design, we've got Babylon, The Fablemans, All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar: The Way of Water, and Elvis, nominated in its 900th category mm-hmm. of today. So, if anyone's a little bit confused about what this category is, uh, it is a little bit confusing, and that's because it's sort of all encompassing. I think the easiest way to describe this category is the vibe of the movie. I think it's it's basically everything that you're seeing on screen that is not the actors and the way that the actors are being portrayed. So it's it's a very broad category, but often you'll see movies nominated here with really impressive set work, really imp- impressive prop work, that sort of thing. I think Babylon should... Uh, get some love rightfully for this, uh, just for the massive sets that they it's, had. It's huge, and there's so much happening. Uh, especially their like, opening party sequences, uh, from that to the movie filming studios. Uh, there's so much. That, I mean, you don't have to just reward the fact that it's an absolutely massive amount of work. Uh, it should be quality, too. But Babylon manages to handle both of those with grace in producing these just massive sets that are also... So fine-tuned to detail in every single inch of them uh, and has something interesting to find everywhere on the screen. little surprised to see the Fablemans on here as it sticks out to me as being pretty minimalistic mm-hmm. from the production design as a whole. It's, Nothing wrong with it. It's good. But, um, you know, surprised whenever you, there are other options that you could have gone with. Personally, I would have liked to see, like, the Batman on here over the Fablemans. Yeah. Um simultaneously you have avatar the way of water which how do you even yeah that's that's consider them i mean they're on green screen most of the movie it's almost an animated film yeah (laughs) the way that they they produced it but you know i still really really enjoyed it so i'm not mad about it it is a nice transition from like standard production design because ultimately like you still have everything that a production design gives you it's just being generated by computers instead of a standard like prop master and construction crew. All that to say is that I'm going to go completely, absolutely feral every single time I see Babylon nominated for anything. I'm just going to lose my mind. Very, very, very happy about that one. It's a most wide open to interpretation category in terms of the nominees. I'm excited to see who wins this because, I mean, we're looking at uh, 1920s Hollywood, Middle America, uh, the front lines of World War One, an entirely new planet and concert venues. Uh, there's a lot going on here, a lot to love. Uh, it'll be an interesting one to see who wins. They kind of make Elvis feel like an entirely new planet. It's uh, it's incomprehensible. <laughs> Number one Elvis hater, Bryce McCracken. It's me right here. Um, it would be Bryce's tar if everybody loved Elvis, which I, I don't think everybody loved Elvis. It seems like Elvis. nobody likes Elvis other than the Academy. It's so. worth noting, my dad wrote his college history thesis on Elvis, loves the man, worships the man, couldn't stand that movie either. I don't know who it was made for or who loves it. Clearly just the Academy. Just the Academy well, is it the worked. answer. <laughs> Alrighty, so next up, uh, we've got Best Documentary Feature. Uh, in that category, we've got All That Breathes, Fire of Love, all the Beauty and the Bloodshed, A House Made of Splinters, and Navalny. So I've heard really good things about Fire of Love, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, and Navalny. Um, have not heard of the other two, All That Breathe and A House Made of Splinters, but I do love documentaries. It's just they're often difficult to see. They don't normally get standard theatrical releases. What is the next category you have for us, Wyatt? So next up is Best Original Score. We've got Babylon. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, The Banshees of Inishirin, The Fablemans, and All Quiet on the Western Front. Oh, yeah. What a what a category. Very, very happy with all of those. The All Quiet on the Western Front one uh, really stands out to me. It's got this, like, like, real quick thing that sort of, like, overrides the whole movie. It's like... And it just does that the whole movie, and it's, like, very eerie, and they use it in a few different creative ways. Uh, I like that one. The Babylon score, I went home singing that, and it was stuck in my head for a few days, so definitely very happy with that. I do love the Babylon nom, uh, just because Justin Hurwitz always works so well together with Damon Chazelle. They were together on La La Land, which is in my top top five favorite movies of all time. 
Um, and there's definitely things I picked up leaving the theater where uh, Justin Hurwitz has his own signature little things here and there. Uh, and it found its way into Babylon, and I loved it. I ate it up. Thought it was phenomenal. And, uh, of course, John Williams made the score for The Fablemans. That score is very idyllic, and uh, John Williams is the GOAT. So uh, always happy to see him represented. All good nominations being represented here. Um, however, as we know, I'm I'm a little... I'm a little little love boy of Babylon and will do anything that it asks me, which is root for it infinitely at the Oscars. I did not love the score for All Quiet on the Western Front the way that you did. We would probably disagree with that a little bit. We don't have to get into the details, but I think that um, the, the Babylon score goes absolutely stupid. I felt the same way, though. Facts. Uh, I felt the same way about going home, singing it, getting it stuck in my head, which whenever I look at best original song or best original score, I always have or frequently have a difficult time thinking back and remembering what I even liked about mm-hmm. the individual movies, whereas Babylon is is such a front runner in my mind because I couldn't stop thinking about it. Really just to me is, you know, undoubtedly my favorite. I thought it was amazing. And one thing that score did really, really well uh, especially in comparison with a movie like Elvis that used contemporary music by contemporary artists for essentially a period piece. Um, Babylon wrote original music that felt new, but they used a lot of instrumentation and styles that would have been used in the time. And so it felt very classic, but also had this really modern twist. And on top of that, it was just so catchy and exciting and exhilarating, and all of the other amazing words used to describe that movie. Moving on, uh, this is the first actor category. Exciting. Uh, we're starting with Best Supporting Actor. Uh, we've got Brendan Gleeson in The Banshees of Inshirin, uh Brian Tyree Henry in Causeway. Oh, I didn't expect to see that one. That makes me happy. Judd Hirsch in The Fablemans, uh, Barry Keegan in The Banshees of Inshirin, and Kei Kwan of Everything Everywhere My All King. at Once. Uh, so first big thing that I noticed here, I, I'm not like super surprised that Judd Hirsch got a nomination, but that dude is in the Fablemans for like maybe three minutes. And so the fact that he's nominated is like actually shocking to me. Like he, I like him in that movie, of course, but he's not there very long. He doesn't have much screen time. I talked to Brett about this before Bryce got home to record this episode. And it was my first takeaway from this list. I mean, Judd Hirsch does a great job in his, like, four scenes he's in. They are stretching uh, the interpretation of supporting, for sure. Not that he did a bad job or sure. anything like that, but to compare his body of work to something like Kehe Kwan's or Brendan Gleeson, I think, is an interesting choice. And you could almost make the argument that someone like Brian Tyree Henry is a lead. Like, there are really only two characters in that whole movie, and he's in basically the entire movie. So to compare that with Judd Hirsch, who has... 12 lines is wild. I totally agree that Judd Hirsch is in the movie for such a obviously short period of time, but you know, it's not, it's not completely new to see a nomination for an actor who isn't in a film for a a long period of time. It really goes to show that he just eats up the screen. Yeah, that's fair. He was expected to be in this category because he was so universally liked in the Mm -hmm. role that he performed. And I totally agree with, you know, him him being here is deserved. Everyone else there, very happy with, though. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I definitely didn't expect to see Brian Tyree Henry, but am overjoyed That's to see him because he's very, very lovable, and he's a great actor and great deserves, in that movie as well. deserves all the success. Um, at the end of the day, Kahee Kwan is my man, who I will root for to the end of the time and hope that he pulls a double dub out of Golden Globes and the Oscars for this. Uh, I do want... Kehe Kwan to win in this category solely on the basis of another acceptance speech from him. We've seen a few so far, whether it be the Critics' Choice Award or the Golden Globes, but uh, he is the loveliest man on the planet, and he's so sweet and so genuine, and I feel like he's my little son up there, and I love him and want to support him. And so on a purely personal level, I'd like him to win in this category, but uh, it's a deserving bunch. I was about to say, I'm I'm not, I'm still not 
convinced that he's the most talented actor in the world. It feels like he's really just playing himself in that movie. But uh, purely for nepotism's sake, I would love to see him win that award. He is such a beautiful soul, and to get an opportunity to see him win that award after all that he's been through would be amazing. Couldn't agree more, fellas. All right. Uh, best Supporting Actress, Wyatt? Best Supporting Actress coming at you. Uh, in that category, we've got Angela Bassett from Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Carrie Condon from The Banshees of Inishirin, a double feature of Everything Everywhere All at Once cast members with Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Sue, and Hong Chow from The Whale. Another pretty expected category. All five of those women were certainly in contention for this category, and uh, I'm not really mad at any of them. I don't know if I really have a, a standout here in terms of like a favorite, but yeah, I think that's a that's a fair bunch of nominees. Happy to see Carrie Condon on this list who I didn't expect to see, but I don't think it's a spoiler for Bryce to say at this point because it's it's been pretty clear. A lot of Banshees of Inisherin, which makes me very happy because I loved that movie. And yeah, Carrie Condon did great there. Um, two Everything Everywhere All at Once noms for Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Sue, um, who I both did an amazing job. I'm a little bit surprised to see Jamie Lee Curtis on here as she had a, a less influential role in, in the movie, but nonetheless excited she's around. Uh, I also remember talking about Hong Chao. Was it for this movie, though? You had some, Brett, had some Hong Chao love in our yeah. top 10 of the year episode. Was that The Whale or was it something else? It, well, she was in The Whale and she was also in The Menu, which is uh, almost surprising. I think this is probably what you're getting at. It's almost surprising that she is nominated for her performance in The Whale and not The Menu um, because she had a... I don't know how to describe it. The menu role was pretty iconic. She was amazing and it had a standout performance that um, we all really, really enjoyed. But when I was thinking about this earlier today, she probably had a better performance in a role for the whale, whereas the menu, her just her character was really iconic. And it was a, a credit to the way that her character was written for the film. So completely agree. I think that this makes a lot of sense, but a little bit surprising to me still, nonetheless. Yeah. And in the menu, she, her character is very monotone and by the books. And she does an exceptional job of playing that for a lot of laughs. But in terms of what the Academy is looking for, which is generally more like emotional, it's certainly coming through a lot more in the whale. Uh, so we're moving to Best Actress. Uh, in Best Actress, we've got Andrea Risenborough from To Leslie, uh, Michelle Williams from The Fablemans, Kate Blanchett from Tar, Ana de Armas from Blonde, and Michelle Yeoh from Everything Everywhere All at Once. In this category, um, Everything Everywhere All at Once is my top movie of the year, so of course I'm going to support Michelle Yeoh with my whole heart, soul, and mind. On second watch of that movie, she's doing so much that I didn't realize on the first watch. Like, she carries so much weight in that movie, and very, very happy with that nomination. Uh, in my personal opinion, I think that this will come down to either her or Kate Blanchett. I think um, you're absolutely right. Those are the two most striking roles uh, of the year, at least of this, this group of five uh, specifically. But that's my take on it. I do love Ana de Armas. Uh, she's she's a top five celebrity crush for me, but unfortunately, Blonde, which came out on my birthday, was, I believe, my least favorite movie of the year. And while I didn't think that her performance specifically was particularly bad, her character is so, so poorly written. And specifically, I think she's really, really miscast. A little bit baffled to see her in this, but I guess that means that I get to look at her <laughs> uh, sitting close to the stage, so not going to complain about that. Can but. we do one quick sidebar, a tier list of movies that Bryce saw in the year 2022? Can we rank um, Blonde, They Slash Them, and Violent Night? Oh, don't forget, uh, what is it, The Gray Man? Oh, and The Gray Man? The Gray Man was... Okay, so Violent Night is at the top. That movie was really bad, but I had a great time. Uh, then I would say probably The Gray Man. It was very bad, but I guess all things considered, it wasn't like offensively bad. 
They slash them was certainly offensively bad uh, <laughs> and just a little bit mind-boggling at multiple occasions. I just had no idea what they were trying to do at pretty much any point. There was nothing scary about it, and it was trying to be scary. If you're not familiar with the movie They Slash Them, I promise you that the take that Bryce is having is not homophobic. This movie is just tragically terrible. Yeah, it's it's really like a slight to the LGBT community that they would produce this movie and try Truly. to pretend like it's for them because they didn't they didn't ask for that. They didn't need that. You're doing Kevin Bacon a disservice. He didn't <laughs> ask for this. Um, but then Blonde, I, I genuinely think it was my least favorite movie of the year. It's just, I think because it was trying to do so much and it fell flat in so many points, it hurts a lot worse that it was that bad because there's so much potential there and it misses all of it. I could talk about this movie for a whole nother podcast episode, but yeah, that, that movie was very, very, very bad. I have a lot to say about the topic at hand, best actress. So we have um, Michelle Yeoh and Kate Blanchett, who I think everybody has been seeing as the two front runners of this category for a long time now. Michelle Williams, who, you know, I genuinely wouldn't even mind seeing win, even though I, I liked Michelle Yeoh and Kate Blanchett in their performances even more. I don't know how familiar we are with the controversy in quotes of the Andrea Riseborough nomination. Very, very limitedly. Uh, the other four actresses nominated here have been in contention for quite a few months now. And Andrea Riseborough came essentially out of nowhere over the last month uh, and was out of seemingly nothing projected to get a potential nomination here. And it's weird to see that. I've not seen to, to Leslie, um, I guess now I will be seeing it. I uh, looked up Andrea Risenborough just to see what she looked like because I'd never heard of her name prior to... You have seen her before. ...speaking out loud, or at least I hadn't thought I had. And my only note on it is that she looks whimsical uh, moving forward. The thing is that nobody nobody saw this movie <laughs> to, to start off, and she wasn't being thought about or, or talked about for this nomination by anybody. And then out of nowhere... Before the deadline for voting closes, this like weird surge of support for her um, that seemed incredibly unnatural, unorganic. One actor tweeted something about it, right? And then a bunch of other people were like, oh, yeah, actually, we actually, should be we talking about her. this. She, yeah. She's like the greatest talent that we have in film right now. And it just came out of nowhere. It was very clearly like... People were paid money behind doors. Yeah. My guy talked to your guy, and now suddenly she is nominated, which, like, it's all part of the campaigning process, like, by any means necessary. I'm not trying to, like, make her or her team seem like bad people for making this happen that this way, but it's very fascinating how this came about that, you know, she was able to run the successful campaign and, and get on this list. I'll reserve too much judgment there until I've seen the movie and judged it for myself, um, but yeah, it's, it's certainly an interesting case. Uh, so from there, we're going to Best Actor. Uh, in Best Actor, we've got Brendan Fraser in The Whale, Austin Butler in Elvis, Colin Farrell in The Banshees of Inishirin, Bill Nye uh, from Living, and Paul Mescal from After Sun. You're king. I, Paul Mescal, if there's ever a day that you're listening to this podcast, know that you may have fumbled the bag with Phoebe Bridgers. I'm here for you. I'm supporting you. I haven't even seen After Sun, but I'm cheering for you. I'm going to see it this week. I'm going to cheer even louder. Whenever I saw this nomination drop for Paul Mescal, I uh, I almost called Wyatt to make sure that our boy was okay, that he didn't get uh, a dopamine overdose and fucking die right die there. Die in his spot. bed. Yeah. There's those uh, those posts that you see a lot uh, that like so whenever something happens, usually it's like a song where like if an artist releases new music and they post a uh, big day for annoying people, uh, that's me. Anytime Paul does anything, I just love him. He's Irish and big. What more can you ask for? You know, also worth noting here. Uh, this is the first Elvis category or the first Elvis nomination that I truly am like happy with. I genuinely think Austin Butler did an exceptional job 
as Elvis in this movie. And seeing him in character accept his award at the Golden Globes was a highlight of that show for me. Uh, hopefully, if he wins, he'll still be in character because I think it's a really funny bit. Certainly a great category here that uh, I'm really appreciative of, of how this one ended up working out. Good mix of old and young here, too. Very Often uh, the Academy gets some criticism because quite regularly the best actress category is often reserved for more young actresses like an ingenue type um and then best actor is where often a lot of the old heads get nominated um i just wanted to mention too that i think it's specifically notable austin butler and paul mescal getting their their roses here i think we're seeing the future of hollywood in in those two actors specifically i don't think they're going anywhere i think those two are going to be very successful for a while and i'm completely here for it and the, the Brendan Fraser uh, redemption bandwagon is taken as many members as it can. All three uh, of us are certainly. All three it. of us love him. Uh, and when his like last 10 years of his life are turned into a movie a few decades down the line, it'll be worth watching. Uh, his comeback to prominence is a story that is heartwarming. Um, he's just a guy that seems so sweet. And we love it when sweet dudes win awards. Certainly. Uh, so what do we have left here? Best foreign film, best director, and best picture? Yeah, I was going to do best director and then go to uh, best picture awards. Well, let's do best foreign. Best foreign word. Uh, so in the international feature film category, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front is back. That's a German movie. Uh, Argentina 1985 was shockingly made in Argentina. Uh, we've not got, in 1985. No, though. no, 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 certainly not. We've got The Quiet Girl, Close, and EO, also nominated alongside... Oh, EO, our second favorite donkey of the year. Do you think The Quiet Girl was all quiet on the Western Front? It's uh, certainly interesting that there are two quiet movies. I have not even heard of that one. Um, no, me either. The The rest of those, though, good movies. Haven't seen Close yet, but Brett and I really liked EO. I really liked Argentina 1985. I think Brett and I both liked All Quiet on the Western Front as well. Um, Argentina 1985 was a surprise win at the Golden Globes, but I felt like it was pretty deserving. It was a, a very good courthouse drama. But yeah, excited to get a chance to look into The Quiet Girl more. Yeah, I don't I don't really know where this category is going, but I, I'm pretty happy with it. I'm excited to look into The Quiet Girl more as a memoir written by myself about my first girlfriend <laughs> and, and how we came to fall in love. Um, EO is not a movie that I was even like really crazy about with how much I liked it whenever I first saw it, but something about it just brings me so much joy and I'm I'm really happy to see it get some recognition here. I do think it's worth noting this is the first time I've been like really confident that a movie was snubbed and that's a decision to leave. I'm very shocked to not see it here. It was just outside my top 10 for the year. It made Brett's top 10, I believe. Yeah, it was my seven. Um, so would have really liked to see that. Like, EO was fine, but I certainly enjoyed Decision to Leave more than EO. So that's a little bit surprising. I, I would have liked to see that movie get a little bit more uh, discussion around it because it's it's honestly exceptional. And like we discussed in that Top 10 episode, I, I think it will only lend itself the more I watch it to liking it even more. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, Park Chan-wook, in my opinion, deserves a, a look as best director Certainly. So for him to not get his movie onto international feature film is shocking to me. And yeah, probably the biggest snub of, of the, the day, in and my opinion. Unfortunately, with international feature movies, often if they don't get recognized at this award ceremony, often they just kind of die. Um, we saw a movie like Parasite, which actually won Best Picture in 2019, because it won and because it was nominated, it started getting a lot of hype around it. And I know people that are not even big film buffs that have seen that movie now. And so for feature films specifically, the award ceremony is really important. And so I, I guess I am a little bit disappointed to not see Decision to Leave there. Uh, moving on into the best animated feature category. Uh, we've got Turning Red, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. My boy. <laughs> the Sea Beast, and the talk of the town, and by the town, I mean this house, over the last two, three days, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Talk of the house, town, world. I mean, 
that thing has taken over, right? I mean, it is crazy yeah. how much uh, it is. It has been well received, and God, it it deserves. I think it. it's deserving. Yeah, very very good movie. Marcella Shell with shoes on is, of course, my favorite movie here. Uh, I'm not convinced that it's a animated movie. It's technically shot with real cameras, and Marcel himself is animated, but it's got live-action characters in it. So that's a, a little bit weird, but uh, I did love that movie. It's, Imagine uh, seeing Avatar The Way of Water <laughs> competing against Puss in Boots uh, and Marcel the Shell with shoes on. I mean, there's honestly more animation in Avatar than there is yes. in Marcel the Shell with shoes on. So. Hilarious. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really expect that to win, but I'm very happy... I hope people go and watch that movie now that they've seen it there. Uh, Turning Red, normally Pixar, is what wins in this category. Uh, I actually think Puss in Boots is probably the favorite here. Um, But Turning Red, I actually thought was a a very good Pixar movie, one of the better ones in the last few years. So I I wouldn't be mad seeing that win. But yeah, I haven't seen The Sea Beast yet. Um, Not even really familiar with that. It's about a beast in the sea. Those jokes rock. I love making those uh, jokes. Looks like it's a Netflix feature. So this is, I believe, their second animated feature that they've had nominated in the last couple of years. So that's exciting for Netflix. Excited to check this one out. Uh, so a little out of order, but we've got best original song uh, slipped my mind as we were going through this list. And we found our way back to it. We've got applause performed by Diane Warren from the movie To Tell It Like a Woman. Uh, Hold My Hand by Lady Gaga from Top Gun Maverick. Lift Me Up uh, by Thames, Rihanna, and Ryan Coogler from Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Natu Natu uh, from RRR. First RRR nomination here that I'm seeing. Um, That movie was definitely slated to get a lot more recognition than it appears to be getting right now. Uh, Yeah, to find that not nominated for international movies. Yeah. Pretty interesting. It's it's surprising. Uh, And then the last nominee and my personal favorite uh, and frequent Song I bump in the car is uh, This Is a Life from Everything Everywhere All at Once, performed by our queen, Mitski. I think one of us would really identify as <laughs> as a, a Mitski lover slash uh, <laughs> dedicated to the throne <laughs> in, realm my, of, in realm of our queen. I said our queen. I mean my queen. It's really just why it's queen. It's, I take my beliefs and superimpose them on the rest of... Uh, the podcast hosts here, uh, but like in a non-mean way. I just think everybody should love Mitski. I have no great. issue with her. I just don't be listening to her. Uh, I don't really have much to say about this category. I'll need to listen to these songs a few more times. I like Hold My Hand from Top Gun. That's the only one that I really even remember. So, yeah, I'll have to listen to these again. Did you see RRR? No. It's over three hours long, so I had some hesitations. I was kind of waiting until it maybe got a nomination before I watched it because I don't really feel like committing to an over three-hour movie if I'm not going to like it and if there's no other reason to watch it. None of us have seen it, but my understanding of it, and again, we haven't seen it, so this might be ignorant if you've seen it and you know better about what what we're talking about here. My understanding is that Not Do Not Do is a giant song and dance number that was like a... uh, a core scene of the movie, whereas the rest of these are just uh, songs played as backdrops to the foreground of what we're seeing. Not I have to, heard not to. "Not to Not To." It is a it is a banger. I'm not I'm not familiar. I have not heard, so I'm excited to check it out because there's a lot of buzz around it. Cool. Alrighty, uh, moving into the final two categories, we're gonna go with best director first. Uh, it's Martin McDonough from The Banshees of Inisherin, Todd Field from Tar. Uh, Ruben Ostland from Triangle of Sadness, both of the Daniels, Daniels Kwan and Scheinert from Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Steven Spielberg from The Fablemans. A uh, noted issue with this category is it's all guys. Yeah, I saw somebody tweeted, um, like, live showing of the directors, and it was just a picture of the Five Guys logo. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, disappointing. <laughs> Very unfortunate. Uh, I think that's absolutely fair. What notable movies came out directed by women this year I is my only question. Go with Women Talking would be, I think, something that should have found its way into this category. Yeah, Women Talking is the most notable one, especially when you are an organization right now trying to, I don't know, gain back some trust as being diverse. Every single year we're, we're being told that the Academy is 
more diverse and we're going to see more diversity come through. And then it seems like every single time we end up having something like no woman director in, in the category, it's uh, seems pretty, pretty unforgiving. And Daniel Kwan is also the only non white man there as well, also which true. is worth noting. Um, I, I would say this was not the best year for female directors. Um, so to some extent that might be why, but yeah, it, it, it is a little bit disappointing to not see any representation there at all. I don't know if I would put Sarah Pauly over any of these directors. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would put her over any of these directors in this category. But I could uh, see it in exchange for Ruben Oslin from Triangle of Sadness. Yeah, I think that's fair. I also don't know if... Basically, and do we really care about the Swedish? I mean, as a Dutch person, no, I don't. Other than that, I mean, these are all movies that exist within our top ten lists. These yes. are all... Names that we are not shocked to see here. Yep. All um, excellent direction from, from these boys. There's not a not a wrong answer here. I'm uh, pretty excited with all of them. The only one that I would say I'm certain is not winning is probably Ruben Ostland. Uh, other than that, I think everybody's got a pretty fair shot, some good batting odds. Yeah, surprising to me that we're seeing the Ruben Ostland nom as opposed to, you know, the uh, we had the opportunity to put Big Jim in there, yeah. James Cameron, yeah. and and he's not somehow. Definitely uh, smells of snub territory for me. I think Steven Spielberg, the other legend of American filmmaking, might have taken his spot. Um, there, there certainly could have been some some voting with the Oscars where they were thinking, eh, we've already got one goat. And in terms of the direction, I think. The Fablements is certainly more the Academy's speed, even if certainly. even if I do think what Big Jim is doing in Avatar is pretty exceptional. Completely agree. I think that's a totally realistic uh, outlook on the situation. All right, are we there? That leaves us with the final final category. We've got Best Picture. Let's go, uh, baby. We've got a bunch of nominees in this category. Uh, we've got Tar. We've got Elvis, Avatar, The Way of Water, All Quiet on the Western Front. The surprising. Fablemans, Triangle of Sadness, also The Banshees surprising. of Inishirin, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Women Talking, and oh, awesome. Top Gun Maverick. Very nice. Uh, this is a really interesting category. Um, the last few years, especially since Parasite, we've been seeing a foreign film creep its way into the, the top 10 Best Picture nominations. I think most people, myself included, were at least initially expecting Decision to Leave to be that film. Um, but All Quiet on the Western Front had a really good last half of its uh, campaigning. So I, I'm not particularly upset to see that there. I don't think I need to say anything about Elvis. I've made my position there very clear. <laughs> we have spoken um, our piece. Worth noting, two, I don't, I don't think anyone expected both Top Gun and Avatar to make their way here. With a, a few years ago, the Oscars transitioned from five Best Picture nominations to ten, sort of in an effort to uh, improve the ratings of the show. That allows them to not just nominate good movies or more good movies, but it allows them to nominate one or two um, big budget movies that people have actually seen. I think most people were expecting Top Gun to be the only movie there. Uh, in this group of 10, the other one that was in possible contention was Black Panther. But of those three, I think that was clearly the worst movie um, just out of those three. But yeah, happy to see both of those large budget movies. People might actually watch this show if there's a chance that the one movie that they saw in theaters this year has a chance of winning Best Picture. I am shocked to see the amount of love Triangle of Sadness has gotten throughout all this. I did think it was a great movie. I didn't think it was the type of movie that would find itself nominated as frequently uh, as it was. I'm happy that it's here. It was in my, I believe, top five, but it's the biggest surprise of this category for me. Other than that, the whale not being included is I have, interesting. I have one big upset here, uh, which is Babylon is not nominated here. I think there's a, a great chance in... 15, 20 years, people are going to look back on this year and think, how is that movie not even nominated? Like, I, I really, Brett, you talked about this on our top 10 episode. I, I think this movie is going to have a lot of staying power and could very likely be a decade movie. 
Um, so to not even see it represented here, I think is actually like very shocking. I, I think that that is an exceptional movie. And so I'm a little bit disappointed to not see it get its flowers. Is it the highest uh, rated movie on y'all's top 10 list to not make the cut for best picture? Uh, yes, yeah. it is on mine. Well, Bryce, you had yours. You had yours. I added it five. Okay. But, but then you rewatched it. I rewatched it and I haven't replaced it. It, it honestly might be two now. Um, yeah, it's an exceptional movie. Other movies that I really liked this year, if we're talking snubs, none of these are particularly surprises, I, which is why I wouldn't call them snubs, but movies that I personally would have liked to see in this top 10. The Northman, it's pretty genre, as is Barbarian, so I don't think anybody really expected either of those movies to make it, but they were in my top 10, so I'm, I guess, a little bit disappointed, but I don't, I don't think I ever expected it to get nominated. Also, Nope, no nomination for Jordan Peele's Nope. Uh, I think that's a little bit shocking. I didn't love that movie, but it was certainly in contention. There were a lot of people projecting it to get a nomination. Uh, well, I didn't expect it to be nominated in any sort of larger category. The fact that both Pearl and X went unnominated completely, I found a little surprising. Uh, not that they received a ton of critical reception, but they did kind of cut out a cult fan base that I thought may earn them one nomination here or there. Pearl was my second ranked movie of 2022, so... That's still shocking to on me. On a personal level, I would have liked to see some more love for Mia Goth and the fact that she is indeed a star, but uh, alas, it was not to be. I am going to be consoling myself about the Babylon snub for some time. I'm going to have to tell myself a lot of affirmations that my validity in movie taste doesn't come from... The Oscars. Um, and obviously, look, like Babylon is getting some love in other nominations. It would be a lot harder to see them go unappreciated if they got zero uh, looks for nominations. Again, like, you know, I think that that Nope deserved a little bit more love. Um, sad to see Decision to Leave. Not not anywhere, I don't believe. Um, yeah. Right? Yeah, I did yeah. get one nomination. Really, uh, really shocking to me. But, you know, especially with Best Picture, like what ends up happening with Best Picture is the movies that are nominated and the movie that wins fits a really specific type, um, really specific type of, of viewer and Academy voter. And I don't think that those movies really mesh with um, the Academy. So, you know, in hindsight, I'm not not completely surprised, but. You know, I had my hopes. I had my hopes that my my little darlings, my little babies that I loved so much this year would have, you know, had a little bit more love. Yeah, thinking, I don't know if you guys have any more real snubs to to mention. I, I didn't do the prep work that I maybe should have to come up with who I would have really liked to see or what films I would have really liked to see represented. I was kind of just going on the fly. But one that did come to mind, um, I would have really liked, and I never expected it to to get nominated, but I would have really liked to see Jesse Buckley's performance in men nominated. I don't think either of you saw that movie, but hers was my favorite female performance of this year, other than maybe Kate Blanchett and tar. Um, again, that's a genre movie. So I, I'd be surprised if the Academy even watched it, but Jesse Buckley is one of my favorite actresses right now. And I think that that's one of her best performances and she's been nominated in the past. Like the Academy is aware and do like her. So Pretty surprising um, to me that none of the leading women from Women Talking made it on to Best Actress. I think that's a little bit tough for the Academy to nominate because there are so many actresses that are splitting dialogue in that movie that they likely, even though they were all exceptional, just didn't know who to nominate. And there's no ensemble award at the Oscars like there are in some other shows. So I think that's likely why we don't see it represented. But yeah, that is a little bit disappointing. On the same movie, I would have loved some Ben Wyshaw love uh, for his character August in Women Talking as like a best supporting actor role. Mm -hmm. If Judd Hirsch uh, was nominated for The Fablemans, uh, I think that in terms of amount of screen time, August, played by Ben Wyshaw, also eclipsed the amount necessary. And I felt his character had a more lasting impact and a larger takeaway, at least for me, uh, from that movie. It's a more impressive performance. Exactly. Frankly, as well, I think. It's more emotionally moving. It, In looking back and reflecting on it now, is probably the pick that I'm most upset about throughout this whole thing. Ben Wyshaw should have gotten some flowers for that. Uh, it's not 
a year in which I'm left angry looking at any of these lists for yeah. the most part. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I have to I have to stretch to to find snubs and to be upset about something. Um, this is certainly the happiest that I've been after reading Oscar nominations in the last five years since I've been following the show. But uh, we're looking forward to this. This will be fun to watch what we haven't seen, watch so many documentaries, learn so many things. We're going to be so well read, seen by the end of this. Uh, it's going to be a fun process. Actually, uh, I got a tip from the Academy that Coda is going to win again. Again? Two years in a row is going to wow. take it. That will be awesome. Uh, you got their you got their number? Oh, no, they have mine. Oh, okay. <laughs> it comes in restricted. Okay, okay. They're just contacting you. I, I get it. Well... Do you guys have anything else you want to mention? No, I think that sums it up for me. Cool. So I will I will close this out. So yeah, be on the lookout. We've got a few more episodes coming out this week and uh, come closer to the actual show itself in early March. Uh, expect us to do a, another quick episode to talk about our predictions. Um, little note, I did exceptionally in my predictions last year, so you'll have to wait to hear exactly how many I got right last year. I did, I did exceptionally. Uh, I did so good. I did, I did oh, real good. Tell me, I did, tell me I did such a good job. Uh, so I hope to do that as well this year. Um, looking forward to that episode. And, of course, looking forward to the Oscars. This has been the Last of the Moon podcast. Thank you so much for listening. All of our socials are Last of the Moon pod. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and soon TikTok, uh, and also soon YouTube. Uh, so give us a follow there to get notified every time we release a new episode. Give us a follow on whatever streaming platform you're listening to. And if you enjoyed this episode, give us a five-star rating. That helps out a lot. Again, thank you so much for listening. Good night. I love you very much. Love you even more. We would last of the moon for you. We hope you would do the same for us. Bye.